Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. No matter how bad you think your genetics are, and no matter how lost you might feel after trying and abandoning many types of workouts, you absolutely, positively can have the lean, ripped body that you dream about. Guys, that is the opening line from the book, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger by Michael Matthews. And so today's podcast is going to be a review of that book. And so basically we're going to look at the book in depth. We're going to look at a lot of things it goes into. There's so much content in this book, so we're not going to be able to get into all of it. But uh, again, I just want to go through this and give you a sense of some of the things that I do within my own training regimen and some of the things that this book suggests. And here's the thing. This is one of the four books that made the health section of the book list. That's the 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. So if you're not familiar with that list, I do talk about it a lot. Just visit that list at www.undaunted.life backslash book list. That's undaunted.life backslash book list. And when you go there, I have a bunch of different sections of different kinds of books. So there's biographies and apologetics and, uh, you know, theology books and things like that. But I do have a health section and, you know, I wanted to make sure that there was a good amount of different types of health things that were in that section, not just the same book over and over. And so this is one of the books that's there. And so I want to get into a lot of detail about what this book goes into. It's one of literally the best selling sports training and natural bodybuilding books of all time. It has over 400,000 copies that have been sold. It's been translated into a bunch of different languages. It's really helped a lot of guys kind of get the body that they were looking for and kind of get, get through some of that head trash and some of the things that they may have heard about in terms of how to lift or how not to lift or how to diet and how not to diet. And so I want to make sure that I go into that fully. Now, guys, this is obviously the first podcast. You know, we're 30 podcasts in now. This is the first one that I'm focusing solely on physical resilience. So obviously, if you're familiar with us by this point, Undaunted Life is all about cultivating manly resilience. And our definition of manhood is a guy that cultivates spiritual, mental, and physical resilience daily, right? <clears throat> but here's the thing. I see a lot of Christian dudes ignore physical resilience almost entirely. Like, it's kind of embarrassing, but, but here's, here's the real truth of it is if you're spiritually resilient, you, you can't really tell that in someone's eyes or, you know, as they walk by you, if you don't know them, you can't tell, you know, that guy's really spiritually resilient. You know, same thing with mental resilient. If you watch someone for long enough, maybe you listen to the vocabulary or, or kind of hang around them long enough, maybe you can kind of get a sense of their mental resilience, but you can't see it really. Physical resilience is one of the easiest things for you to actually look at. Because if somebody is sloppy and overweight and something like that, they're, they're probably not very high on the physical resilience scale. It's just kind of one of those things where you can literally look at a guy and be like, well, he doesn't really take care of his physical resilience. He doesn't really take care of his body, right? And so the thing is that I notice when I walk through any church that I've ever been to, it's just like the rest of America. Most, most of them are overweight. Most of the guys are overweight. They're out of shape or, you know, they're skinny, but out of shape, you know, guys like that, they're, they're skinny, but they couldn't run a quarter mile to save their life. And so this is something that I really want to hammer home to you guys about how important this is. Cause I see a lot of guys just ignore this. You know, they, they've stopped worrying about their physique and how in shape they were after their last practice, you know, in high school, whatever sport that was, you know, they had, they got married and that was their excuse for not going to the gym or they had their first kid and that was their excuse for not going to the gym or, oh, I kind of tweaked my knee playing fris frisbee golf or something like that. And then all of a sudden they can't work out for the next two decades. But the thing about it is, is it's completely inappropriate to walk through life as a Christian male and be a bad example to those around you, especially with how you treat your body. It's just that simple. And we're going to get into that more a little bit later about kind of the godly component of that. But um, I want to get more into why I wanted to do this book and why I wanted to do this now. Here's the thing is I've had a lot of people ask me about my workout routine. So I show bits and pieces of that on Instagram every Tuesday. So if you follow us on Instagram at Undaunted Life, every Tuesday I do a workout of the week and I try to build workouts that everybody can do. So regardless of if you have a gym membership or if you have a home gym or any weights or any type of equipment, I try to do stuff that just about everybody can do, even if they're just sitting at work, it's something that they can do. But this book is, I guess, the closest thing to a summary that I can find of my training philosophy. And, and I was pleasantly surprised because a lot of the things that um, were talked about in this book by the author were things that I was already doing. And you know how it is. If you've been doing something for any length of time and then you read a book about someone who's an expert in that area, there's kind of that little bit of nervousness like, oh, crap, 
I really hope I've been doing this correctly for like the last five years or something like that. So I was really, really satisfied with some of the things in this book, because this is a guy that backs up a lot of things he says with a lot of different um, studies and different uh, kind of peer reviewed things that have kind of led him to make the recommendations that he does. But the thing is, is, is like I said earlier, there is literally way, way too much information in this book for me to summarize it all. But I am going to go ahead and point out some of the high points for you and just the things that I think are going to be the most helpful. And this is also distilled down from what a lot of guys have asked me. So guys asking me about my diet, certain workouts, Hey, should I use, you know, uh, should I use bands or should I use free weights or should I, you know, things like that. And so I'm going to try to get into as much of that as possible. So this book is broken down into five main sections. Okay. So there's a couple other sections, but they're not really, you know, integral to the overall story that we're going to tell today. So section one is about fundamentals. Section two is called the inner game. Section three is nutrition and diet. Section four is training. And the last section we'll talk about is section five, and that's supplementation. But let's go ahead and get into section one. So section one is fundamentals. And so this is just really, really basic stuff. It just starts with a bunch of definitions. So it's there's going to be a lot of uh, kind of jargon used in this book. And the author does a great job of not assuming that everybody knows what he's talking about. So even when he says something like carbohydrate, like, do we know exactly what he's talking about? Are we all on the same page? And there's some that go way more technical than that, but that's just kind of how the book starts. But then also in this section, it talks about the seven biggest muscle building myths and mistakes. And so there, there's seven there, but I just wanted to go into a few of them. I didn't want to go through all of them and do exhaustive. I do want you to be able to get the book and, and refer to it and read it yourself. But the number one myth or, or the first myth rather about uh, muscle building is that more sets equals more growth. And so I'm going to read a section from the book here. I learned that doing too many sets and reps for any muscle group per week can lead to overtraining, which has a host of negative side effects, impaired muscle growth, general fatigue lower levels of anabolic hormones, higher levels of catabolic hormones, and in extreme cases, even muscle loss. And so this is something that, you know, I can like feel the soul of Jocko Willink hovering over me right now being like, no, do more sets. But it really is something that I have seen in my own personal training. And I've seen it other places that people literally will overset themselves into drawbacks in their body. So they're trying to get to a certain type of muscle growth or a certain type of body. And they think, well, if I just do my biceps, you know, three or four times a week, I'm going to get that. And it actually can kind of work in your, uh, not in your favor there. So myth number two, uh, in terms of the biggest muscle building myth is you have to quote, feel the burn to grow. So all of us know that, you know, you, you get that pump. So international chest day is Monday. You go in there, you get your bench press on, you're feeling all, you're feeling tight. You're feeling huge as you're walking out of the gym, but you don't necessarily have to feel a burn in order to grow. So let's go back to the book here. This is probably one of the worst muscle building fallacies out there. Muscle burn and pump are not paramount in achieving muscle growth. When your muscles are burning, what you're feeling is a buildup of lactic acid, which continues to accumulate as you contract your muscles again and again. While lactic acid triggers what's known as anabolic cascade, which is a cocktail of growth-inducing hormones, repeatedly elevating lactic acid levels higher and higher doesn't mean you build more and more muscle over time. Thus, for yet another reason, when guys spend a couple of hours in the gym pounding away with drop sets, burnout sets, supersets, and so forth, they're working very hard for little payoff. And so guys, I can, I can raise my hand here. I can raise both hands and say in, in my lifting, that's just something that I've done on my own since I was like 14 or 15 years old. There were a lot of times where it's like, well, I can't leave the gym yet because I'm not feeling that burn. And everybody that's lifted, you know what that burn is, right? Where you're just feeling good. You got that burn. But again, if you go to that area every time, it's not necessarily good for you. Now, another myth, this is myth number four on his list, is this, constantly changing up your routine, constantly changing up your routine. Back to the book. Guys who make the mistake of doing lots of ineffective exercises often believe the, quote, muscle confusion, unquote, myth, the muscle confusion myth which is the belief that you have to constantly change up your routine to keep your body guessing and make gains. This is complete nonsense. You're in the gym to get bigger and stronger, and that requires four simple things. Do the right exercises, lift progressively heavier weights, or heavier weights over time, eat correctly, and give your body sufficient rest. 
Regularly changing exercises simply isn't necessary because your goals limit the exercises that you should be doing. Now, I, I will go out there and then, again, this one is one that hit me in the face a while back, and I was actually surprised to see it here in this book because we always hear about muscle confusion right? We always hear that, well, your body's used to this chest exercise, so you need to shake things up. But, you know, the author goes into much more detail, but, but essentially, you know, different muscle groups in your body, they don't have brains, right? They don't get bored. So if, you know, you've only been doing, you know, a single type of push-up, you're not necessarily going to get any gains by going to a different kind of push-up. That's essentially going to be hitting the same muscle groups or the same part of the same muscle group. And so that was one thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about, which is, you know, how often should I change up my routine? Should it be every, every eight weeks, every six months, things like that. And, you know, as we'll get into it a little bit later, if you do some core things, you can change things up. So you're not bored, but it's certainly not your body. That's going to get bored. And then another myth, I think this is the last myth I'm going to go into here on this section is myth number six, and that's lifting like a wussy. So I like this one a lot. Back to the book. Building a great body is a pain in the butt. It takes considerable time, effort, discipline, and dedication. It doesn't come easy, and anyone who tells you otherwise is either ignorant or lying. Quite frankly, most guys just train like wussies. They don't want to face up to heavy weights and do the hard work. They seem to believe that just showing up and going through the motions is enough. Well, it's not, and their bodies, which can change little over time, are a testament to that fact. To that fact. The truth is these guys are just giving in to one of the, our most primal instincts. We humans are programmed to avoid pain and discomfort and seek pleasure and ease in life. And in some circumstances, this works out nicely for us. If we let these inclinations color our workouts, however, we're doomed. If you want to build an impressive physique, you're going to have to work hard in the gym. You're going to have to move weights that are just downright intimidating. You're going to have to dig deep and finish that last set. You're going to have to deal with muscle soreness and other aches. But you're going to come to love it. You're going to learn that these hardships are just part of the game the dues you have to pay to meet your goals. You're going to look forward to this daily hour of intense, uncomfortable, all-out physical exertion because you know that every workout you finish makes you a little bit stronger, both physically and mentally, and gets you a little bit closer to the end game. So guys, th this is something that I think it may have been the first Q&A podcast I was asked about, you know, basically the mistakes that guys make out at the gym. And this is one that I didn't really mention, but I should have, and I've been kicking myself ever since. But this is really true. So I know a lot of guys that spend a lot of time at the gym and frankly, you just can't tell. And again, going to the gym is not all about just having giant traps and chest pounding out of your shirt and all those different things. But at the end of the day, I hear about guys all the time that don't have enough time to do X, Y, or Z, right? Well, gosh, if I just had more time, I would spend more time with my wife. Or gosh, if I just had enough time, you know, I would do another Bible study. Or if I just had enough time, I I'd be a better father. But I see these guys in the gym. Well, first of all, they're farting around on their phones. And, and they're working out at a gym that's like 20 to 30 minutes away from their house. So they're taking another hour out of their day just by putting along, getting to the gym. They take their time warming up. They take their time getting changed. They're, you know, taking way too long in between sets. And then whenever they get down to the business of actually lifting weights, they're not serious about it. And again, I, I don't like the excuses here because there's a lot of them here, but it's just like, well, I don't have a, I don't have a lifting partner. I don't have a spotter. I don't have all those things. Guys, I haven't basically had a spotter or a workout partner for the entirety of my life. There was like a little two year stretch where I worked out with a buddy of mine. But aside from that, you can work out by yourself. Like, and again, I don't work out by myself in a gym full of people. I work out by myself in a garage gym. That just what's works best for me. And I'm not saying, you know, be the lone wolf and work out on your own. I'm just saying that a lot of the excuses that you give for why you don't work out hard are not actually real. Now, he also goes into some other things uh, in this section, in this beginning section, and he goes into the three scientific laws of muscle growth. So I want to talk about all of these. So the three scientific laws of muscle growth, right? So we just did the myths. Now let's do the laws. The first is progressive overload overall. The second is proper rest is just as important as proper training. And third, muscles will grow only if they are properly fed. So let's go back to number one, progressive overload over time. So this basically means lifting progressively heavier weights, right? So as you move on in your lifting programs, you are not going to put 225 on the bench and only do that ever, right? That's not going to be your, your workout weight. You're trying to inch your way up two and a half pounds on each side at a time, five pounds on each side at a time, that type of a thing. And this is really where we get into the four to six rep range. And we're going to talk more about this later in the podcast, I believe, but four to six reps, that is the magic right there. 
I know a lot of people and I've done this for, for many, many years and I've just recently changed this in the last couple of years, but everything's eight to 12 reps, right? That's what you're trying to do, but that's actually not helping you get stronger, right? You're doing more reps, but you're, you're not getting stronger. If you up the weight and lowered the rep range, it's going to actually help you over time to grow muscle. Now, the second thing, the second law here was proper rest is just as important as proper training. I see this as a gigantic mistake for a lot of people. And this is not just rest in terms of sleep. Obviously, I've suggested a podcast before about sleep. It's incredibly important, but that is something that guys do not give certain body parts or certain muscle groups a rest. So I've talked to a lot of guys that, you know, they put themselves in the category. They do bench press and bicep curls, right? You know, just about two or three days a week is chest day. Like that's, that's what they do. And, and I get it. It, it makes sense. It, you can kind of see that grow. It's like the easiest thing to watch grow, but you have to rest certain muscle groups or it's going to start working against you. And we'll certainly talk more about that later. And the third law here was muscles will grow only if they're fed properly. So here's a quote from this section. You could do the perfect workouts and give your muscles the perfect amount of rest. But if you don't eat correctly, you won't grow period. It is that cut and dry. So again, guys, I know, I know certain guys, your diet is completely unlocked. You know, some of you guys get a lot of, uh, of sleep. Maybe some of you guys do the perfect workouts, but if you don't have all those things working in concert, you're going to end up working against yourself and against your gains. So in this section as well, it talks about the five biggest fat loss myths and mistakes. So again, this first section is incredibly important because it kind of sets you up for all the different paradigms he's going to bust for you later in the book. So the five biggest fat loss myths and mistakes, and I'm just going to go over a few of them here. So uh, the second one that he lists is, uh, so number two, the myth and mistake is you do cardio and you'll lose fat. So that is a myth. If you do cardio, you'll lose fat. So let's go to the book here. Cardio can enhance fat loss in two ways, burning calories and speeding up your metabolic rate. But that's it. And since I brought it up, let's talk briefly about the metabolic rate. Your body burns a certain number of calories regardless of any physical activity. This is called your basal metabolic rate, your BMR. Your total daily energy expenditure, which is TDEE, for a day would be your BMR plus the energy expended during any physical activities. When your metabolism is said to speed up or to slow down, what this means is that your basal metabolic rate has gone up or down. That is, your body is burning more or fewer calories while at rest. Cardio, especially a variety I recommend called high-intensity interval cardio or HIT, can increase your basal metabolic rate through what's known as the afterburn effect. While that sounds fancy and is often used in sketchy marketing pitches for sketchy products, it's simple. Your body continues burning additional energy after you exercise. And so, oh, sorry, one last section here. But here's the thing with cardio. If you don't also eat correctly, that nightly run or bike ride won't save you. So again, I I know a lot of guys that will do a ton of cardio. Maybe they're big time runners or they crush the bike or or whatever it is that they do, but they don't eat right. And it it's, would almost be better as opposed to them running five miles. It would be better for them to run 15, uh, you know, 15 sprints or something like that. And so just doing cardio is, is not enough and it's not necessarily all that you need, but potentially you need a different type of cardio. Another myth and mistake here about fat loss is doing tons of reps gets you shredded. So as, as many of you have heard before, and as I've even told people before, is if you want to get bulky, you do high weight, low rep, And if you want to get, you know, cut up and shredded, you do low weight, high rep, right? But let's go to the book and see what he has to say. Many gurus recommend that you follow a high rep, low weight routine to shred up. But this is the complete opposite of what you want to do. The reality is, is that your body is primed for muscle loss when you're in a calorie deficit. And by focusing exclusively on muscle endurance, which is the higher rep ranges, You'll set yourself up for rapid strength loss with the potential for significant muscle loss as well. The key to preserving strength and muscle while losing weight is to lift heavy weights. The goal is to continue progressively overloading your muscles, which ensures protein synthesis rates remain elevated enough to prevent muscle loss. There are fat loss benefits to heavy weightlifting as well. A study published by Greek sports scientists found that men who trained with heavy weights, which was 80 to 85% of their one rep max, increased their metabolic rates over the following three days, burning hundreds more calories than the men who trained with lighter weights, which was 45 to 65% of their one rep max. Yes, hundreds more calories. That's significant. And if you really want to, uh, and if you really want, sorry, start over. 
And if you want to really score extra calories burned, focus on compound lifts like squats and deadlifts, because these are the types of lifts that burn the most post-workout calories. The bottom line is getting that shredded look is just a matter of having a fair amount of muscle and a low amount of body fat and nothing else. There aren't any special exercises that bring out the uh, striations and burning your muscles out with tons of reps does nothing to improve your overall look. So this is another one of those things that I was just dead wrong on for a lot of years and have just really wised up in the last couple of years. So if you're trying to shred up and you're trying to go low on weight, that's not necessarily going to help you. Now, there are, are times whenever you should weight down in, in your certain exercises, and we'll get in that to a little bit more later, but that should not be your normal regimen. And the last myth he talks about here in terms of fat loss is trying to spot reduce fat. And this is this is important for a lot of guys. Back to the book. The reality is that training the muscles of a certain area of your body burns calories and can result in muscle growth both of which certainly can aid in fat loss, but it doesn't directly burn the fat covering them to any significant significant degree. You see, fat loss occurs in a whole body fashion. You create the proper internal weight loss environment, a calorie deficit, and your body reduces fat stores all over your body, with certain areas reducing faster than others. You can do all the crunches you want, but you'll never have a six pack until you've adequately reduced your overall body fat percentage. And that's more a function of proper dieting than anything else. So this is something for guys. It's like, okay, maybe you've got love handles or maybe you got a little bit of extra weight on, you know, on your chest or in certain parts of your legs or something like that. So just doing certain exercises is not actually going to help that. So, so for guys with love handles, I know a lot of guys, you know, they'll crush, you know, the the side, the side crunches, or they'll get a dumbbell and they'll do side bends and things like that. And what that ends up doing for a lot of guys is it actually ends up exacerbating the issue because they're building a muscle underneath an area that already has fat in it. So it actually has the illusion of making you look fatter in that area. So it's just kind of one of those things. And and the other thing about, uh, about weight in terms of body fat guys is guys store body fat differently. Like there's certain people that just don't store any of it. And those are the people that we're, we're going to kill. You know what I mean? But like there are certain guys that they, they hold their, their fat, maybe right in the front, like right around their belly button. Like no matter whatever they do, I, I think I like Chuck Liddell. Like that's a dude that even in his most ripped, he still had a gut. Like that was just, that's just kind of his look. That's where his body stored fat, but he had no, he had no love handles. He didn't have any fat on his hips. And so for other guys, like they're incredibly ripped out, they even have a six pack, but then they still have a little bit of love handles. It's just where genetically their body is telling them to store that fat. So guys, that wraps up the first section, which is just basically going into the fundamentals of the things that we should know, but also just setting us up for the remainder of the book. Now, section two is about the inner game. And I just got to be honest with you. This is not a section that I spent a lot of time on, and I'm not really going to go over any, any of it here. It's a lot of, you know, willpower and motivation and, you know, getting yourself psyched up and all that stuff. And I just don't really ascribe to a lot of that because again, I'm, I'm in the Jocko Willink camp of all this, which is like discipline over everything else, essentially. So if you have the discipline, you don't need the motivation because no matter how motivated you are, eventually your motivation will wane. And there's not a YouTube video or a Tony Robbins quote that's going to get you out of bed that morning. You know what I mean? But if you have the discipline, you're going to do it. So let's go ahead and move on into section number three, and this is nutrition and diet. And I know for a lot of you guys, this is going to be a section that you're not really going to enjoy, but it is an incredibly, incredibly important section for you. So the first thing that we go into in nutrition and diet is we talk about the macronutrients that all of us guys should really be looking at on a daily basis. And those are proteins, carbohydrates, and dietary fats. So let's talk about proteins first, and I'll go ahead and go to the book here. A high protein diet is absolutely vital for building muscle and preserving it when you're dieting for fat loss. Regular exercise and weightlifting in particular increases your body's need for essential amino acids and thus protein. Your best choices are meat, dairy products, and eggs. And second to those are certain plant sources like legumes, nuts, and high protein vegetables like peas, broccoli, and spinach. Protein from meat is particularly helpful when you're weightlifting as research has demonstrated that eating meat increases testosterone levels and is more effective for building muscle than vegetarian sources. It's hard to put an accurate cap on how much protein your body can absorb in one meal. It's definitely a hell of a lot more than the 20 to 30 grams that some people claim. So let's talk about protein just a little bit. 
Guys, you can just drown yourself in research for the next 10 years, or you can just trust trust me, trust this guy. You got to have more protein. I, I've rarely run into guys that kind of give me an idea of what their diet is and are they getting enough protein. And I'm mainly talking about active guys, you know, guys that are doing the normal American lifestyle of being sedentary in the normal American diet. They're probably getting enough protein to, to fuel what it is that they need. But if you are an active guy, you got to get the protein because it's one of the things that is going to help your muscles recover and grow in a way that you're going to want, in a way that you're going to feel is appropriate in a way that's going to make you actually feel good. But I do want to talk about something that they didn't really go into in the book, and that is the bioavailability of protein. Okay. So not all proteins are created equal because they have equal amounts of grams, you know, on the nutrition facts on the back. So the big thing that I've heard a lot, and it's come from some bad documentaries and some bad research that people cite, but they're like, well, you know, I don't, I'm a vegetarian or I'm a vegan, but I get the same amount of protein as, as you guys. I just get them from plants. You know, I do a plant-based diet. And so here I go, I get the same amount of protein, but here's the deal is the bioavailability of red meat, for instance, like a steak versus the bioavailability of the protein in a black bean is completely different. So what do I mean by that? Basically, your body does not absorb both things the same. So let's say you have a a serving of red meat that would equal 25 grams of protein and a serving of black beans that would equal 25 grams of protein. That's going to be a hell of a lot of black beans, by the way. And you ate one or the other. Your body is not going to absorb the same amount of protein from both of those things. There's actually some research to suggest that your body doesn't even know what to do with a black bean. Like it doesn't really have it super bio readily available for you. So not all proteins are created equally. So what you have seen, and there's a lot of examples of this out there, there were, you know, vegetarian bodybuilders or vegan bodybuilders that did this for a long time, but then, you know, their blood work wasn't going very well. Their performance was suffering. And what they really needed is they needed more meat-based protein in their diets. And so again, this is different for every individual body. And so you just have to see how that goes. But in general, in general, it is better to get your protein from meat than it is from non-meat sources. Okay. Now let's talk about carbohydrates, the dreaded evil carbohydrates. All right. Back to the book. Carbohydrates in all forms aren't stored as body fat as efficiently as dietary fats are. Carbohydrates play an essential role in not only muscle growth, but also in overall body function. High long-term intake of simple carbohydrates, carbohydrates, which is disaccharides like sucrose or high fructose corn syrup, has been associated with an increased risk of heart disease and type 2 diabetes. Overweight, sedentary bodies don't deal with simple sugars nearly as well as lean, physically active ones do. If you exercise regularly and aren't overweight, your body can likely deal with simple carbohydrates just fine. Insulin tells the body to stop burning its fat stores and instead absorb some of the fatty acids and glucose in the blood and turn them into more body fat. But that's not what causes you to get fatter over time. Overeating does. So again, we got to talk about carbs here because, you know, carbs are kind of like the, it's the devil, right? Like you, you can't have carbs and, you know, do carnivore diet and, you know, only eat meat, only get proteins, right? Uh, and proteins and fats and, you know, let's do keto and let's, you know, do almost no fats or, or almost no carbs or something like that. But this is what, this is what I can just kind of throw out there to you. And it just kind of is what it is. A lot of stuff surrounding some of the lower carb diets, it's somewhat anecdotal at this point. It's still somewhat anecdotal. So perhaps we don't need, you know, the the 250 to 300 grams of carbs for a normal guy in a, in a normal day, but your body has in a lot of ways has to have carbs if you're going to be able to perform well. So I got a lot of buddies that, you know, they'll, they'll work out or maybe they've gone on these hikes in certain areas and their bodies gas out because it doesn't have carbs to burn off. Right. And these are guys that are trying to be trying to do the ketogenic thing and maybe they're doing it imperfectly or maybe they're doing it perfectly, but their body just doesn't respond as well to it. But, you know, there again, it's this idea that carbs are bad and they're evil and they're they're not going to work out well for you. But again, there, there's way more research to suggest the opposite than to corroborate that. And so I'm not saying to you guys that keto is bad. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm not saying that any other form of low carb diet is bad for you, but um, it's not necessarily going to do what you think it's going to do. And so for you, you have to just determine, do you make this gigantic life change to, to start doing this extreme diet that is not normal and is hard to prepare for and hard to go out to eat and all these different things, if it's not really going to produce what, what you're end up ending up wanting to do. And so again, if you're a guy that's, you know, works out really, really hard, I know for me, there's two or three days a week where I do train multiple times in one day, you got to have 
carbs available in order for you to burn those into energy quickly so that you can get through those workouts. And the last thing here, let's talk about dietary fats. Let's go back to the book. Dietary fat is the densest energy source available to your body with each gram of fat containing over twice the calories of a gram of carbohydrate or protein. Healthy fats, such as those found in meat, dairy, olive oil, avocados, and various seeds and nuts, help your body absorb the other nutrients that that you give it, nourish the nervous system, help maintain cell structures, regulate hormone levels, and more. While we now know the saturated that saturated fat isn't the danger we once thought it was, we don't quite know what the optimal daily intake should be either. The most recent report of dietary guidelines published by the USDA in 2010 maintains the 2002 recommendation that we get less than 10% of our daily calories from saturated fat. Research has associated trans fat intake with a variety of health problems to include heart disease, insulin resistance, systemic inflation, or inflammation rather, female infertility, diabetes, and more. So the thing with fats is there has been a revolution as of late that has gotten people to get more clean fats into their diet. So just like the things that were mentioned earlier. So uh, those were the, let's go back up to that. So the meat, dairy, olive oil, avocados, and then seeds and nuts and things like that. There's a lot of guys that are putting more of that into their diet. And that is something that I think is incredibly beneficial. Uh, Again, the thing that I'm not quite sure of is if we cut the carbs incredibly low and throw the fats incredibly high, you know, that, that may seem like it's swinging the pendulum too far in the other direction. I can say for me, and I'm only talking about me. So here's my anecdotal evidence. When I lowered my carb intake and upped my fat, I felt like sludgy, sludgy garbage. Like I just did not feel good. My workouts didn't feel good. I did not feel explosive. Uh, when I was doing certain things, sprint work or jujitsu, it just, it didn't feel right for my body. And, you know, to be honest, it may be if I had gone another month or two doing it, my body would have been able to reset, but I did not feel as well. And this was not like a mental thing, like, oh, I need chips and queso. Like it wasn't one of those things, like I need more carbs, but it was just the, I wasn't getting the performance I wanted. And that's what I use my diet for. I don't use my diet to make myself happy. If that were the case, I literally wouldn't eat eggs all day, every day. I eat like eight to 10 eggs a day, right? That gets a little boring and a little, little hard to choke down. So that's certainly not the reason why I do that. But Overall, you just have to figure out what type of thing works for you, but you do have to make sure you got a good lock on your carbs, your fats, and your proteins, okay? So let's get into muscle, a little bit more on the nutrition side, and let's talk about building muscle and losing fat, okay? Let's go back to the book. The only people who can effectively and naturally build muscle and lose fat simultaneously are newbies who have a fair amount of fat to lose and people who used to be in great shape and are now getting back at it. Muscle memory allows you to rapidly regain muscle you once had, which is interesting. If, you've, if you're an experienced weightlifter who has already built a fair amount of muscle, however, you won't be able to build any appreciable amount of muscle while restricting your calories for fat loss, no matter what type of diet or training protocol you use, period. Your goal while cutting is to preserve muscle, not gain it. The big secret of experienced, accomplished weightlifters who are able to build muscle and strength while getting lean is drugs. Lots and lots of drugs. So don't become one of the many guys who spin their wheels for years chasing the recomp, jumping from one fad workout and diet to the next with little to show for it in the end. Okay. So this is something that I think is really, really important because a lot of times when you're looking at different workouts or you're following different workout regimens, it's like, all right, we're going to be able to gain muscle and cut fat here. But this is not the only place I've seen it in this book. There are a lot of different places. It's a lot of the natural bodybuilding type things where it's just basically like, guys, we got to be realistic about what some of these dudes in the magazines are doing. These guys are roided out of their brains. Like they're on anabolic enhancers, they're on HGH, they're on a lot of different things. A lot of these guys do not have natural bodies. And so you you go to Muscle and Fitness or Men's Health or whatever magazine you choose to do while you're browsing at the grocery store or something like that. And you see these bodies and you're like, God, man, I feel like I'm crushing it at the gym. I feel like I'm doing so much, but I'm just, I don't have that. Well, part of it's genetic and part of it is drugs. So I use this example a lot for different people because they're worried about their diet and like, you know, I'm working out a lot and my diet's going, but I still don't have a six pack. Well, the greatest bodybuilder of all time is Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? You know, he's not the most prolific, but there would basically be no other prolific weightlifters if not for him, right? That guy had like a, a five pack, right? He had kind of a shorter torso, 
but his his bottom row of abs was like basically one big ab muscle. Like go look at pictures, and then he's got like the top four abs, which which were incredibly defined. So these guys that have like these eight pack abs, that's a genetic thing. They genetically have an extra row of ab muscles. There, there's no amount of sit-ups and no amount of leg lifts that you're ever going to be able to do to change the musculature of your body there. Okay. So that's just something that's really important for a lot of these guys. Just know a lot of these guys are on drugs and it's not worth it for you to get on that. So the book also goes into cutting and bulking. So a lot of you have heard that. So a lot of guys will try to bulk up in the winter time, you know, when they're not walking around with their shirt off the whole time and they try to cut down once they get to summer. Now, this section had a whole lot of information in it, and it's it's pretty much too much to talk about here, but it does go into that, so if if that's something you're interested in, it was very, very interesting. You'd have to look at that in the book. And then he also has actual diet plans. So some things with a lot of these books or a lot of blogs that you follow, they'll suggest things to you, but then at the end of the day, they, they won't actually say, well, here's a sample plan. If you are 5'10", 190 pounds, here's a sample plan for you of what you would need to do with how much you're going to be working out. So this actually has some actual diet plans in there, but in order to see those, you're going to have to get the book. It doesn't really do you any justice for me to describe them on here. It's just too in-depth to talk about here on the podcast. I won't be able to do it justice. But another thing it talked about is it did talk, talk about cheat meals. So any of you guys that have done any type of strict training regimen, you've probably had a concept of a cheat meal, right? You know, I, I think uh, Dwayne Johnson, he's he's kind of famous for his cheat meals and he'll eat like a stack of like 20 pancakes and that's just what he starts out with and all that kind of stuff. But the big thing that he was talking about is think cheat meal instead of cheat day, right? So cheat meal instead of cheat day. So I can say this for me, this was like four or five years ago. I mean, I had a very strict diet and I did not cheat six days a week, but every Thursday I went ham. I went crazy. Like, from the moment I woke up, I was eating candy, I was drinking milkshakes, I was getting burgers and pizza and and like, you know, Slurpees and all kinds of stuff. I was trying to mush as much garbage and crap into one day as possible. And at the time it seemed cool because it's like, oh no. And I, even at my people at work, they were like, oh man, you know, today's cheat day. Where are we going? Like it was kind of this exciting thing. But I was doing so, so much damage to my body on that one day and my body just throwing it into shock that it would take me sometimes until Saturday to like recover. Like I would do this Bible study with some guys Friday mornings for breakfast and some mornings it was like all I could do just to choke down some oatmeal because it's just like I was still full from all the garbage I'd put in my system from the day before. And so when we're thinking about cheating in terms of a meal, we should consider it a refeeding instead of cheating. That's how he called it. It's a refeeding. So you're, you may be at a little bit of a caloric deficit or maybe you're not eating some of the carby, sugary things most of the time. And this is a one meal where you're going to get all that stuff in there. But in this section as well, in which I really appreciated this, he talked about eating healthy on a budget. Okay. So we all know that healthy eating on a budget is, is really difficult because in your brain, you're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, it's already tied at the house right now and the budget's still kind of crazy. Like how in the world am I going to spend all this money at Whole Foods or at Sprouts or something like that? And you don't necessarily have to go crazy. You can, but you don't have to. So he threw out a bunch of examples of uh, kind of budget friendly, healthy eating things. So for, in terms of proteins and fats, he talked about eggs chicken breasts, almonds, low-fat cottage cheese, protein powder like whey powder, and avocados. And going back up to eggs real quick, so there's kind of this fallacy out there about the cholesterol in eggs, about how it will increase your risk of heart disease. It doesn't. Like, the cholesterol in eggs does not increase your risk of heart disease. That has been thoroughly debunked at, at this point. He talks about it here in the book. And also, there's a documentary out there, I guess, it's called What the Health? Uh, I think it's on Netflix or something like that. I think someone told me there's a claim in that documentary that one egg is equivalent to smoking five cigarettes. Literally the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in terms of diet. It's not true. They're full of crap. So in terms of healthy carbs, you know, things that you could do on a budget, he talked about oats, black beans, brown rice, quinoa, fruit, and sweet potatoes. And specifically on the fruit, he mentioned grapes, apples, bananas, and oranges. So those are all things that are readily available at just about any place that you get groceries, and they shouldn't really bust up the budget too bad. So that's good to uh, end that section on. But now let's get into the section I'm sure most of y'all are the most excited about, and to be honest, I was as well, and that's section four, and that's about training. And so at the end of the day, a lot of guys don't really have the diet. They don't really have the sleep, but those are things that you can take care of with discipline. But for the most part, for most guys, the hardest thing is the training. 
if you're going to actually train hard, but then if you're already willing to train hard, it's making sure you're doing it in the right way. So uh, the thing is, is for us, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, we've got to get the fitness slash weightlifting magazine physiques out of our brains. Okay. Well, and let's go to the book here. We've got a quote from the author. Here's what it boils down to. Every professional bodybuilder going anywhere in the sport is on drugs. A lot of drugs, like $50,000 to $100,000 of drugs per year. Yes, every single one, regardless of what they say. And so again, just to reiterate, just to drive this home, the guys you see online, the guys you see on Instagram, a lot of these guys have, have had their uh, their bodies, um, you know, touched up and Photoshop and airbrushed. And these magazines have certainly done that. And a lot of these guys are freak beasts, like they're absolute giants, but they got that way by basically sacrificing probably 10 or 20 years off the end of their life so that they can be jacked as a four-year-old. You know what I mean? So uh, he goes into a lot of different things here in terms of the training, but I just want to kind of boil down to some of the core things that I think are essential for you guys to know. The first is that we should not focus on isolation exercises that in order to build overall strength, that that is not the best thing to do. So if you're not familiar with isolation exercises, that's like doing a preacher curl, right? So you're trying to isolate the bicep muscle, or if you're doing a certain type of chest machine, so it's really hitting a certain section of your chest, your, your upper, upper, your middle, or your lower chest, right? But if you want overall strength, isolation exercises are not going to do that for you. So uh, I've, I've had a lot of friends kind of ask me about my different workout regimens and they're like, well, how many days a week do you do arms and things like that? And I just straight up tell them, I was like, look, I, I really don't. So the, the, uh, I think there was a quote from the book. I, I kept trying to remember it off the top of my head, but it's like, if you want to gain an inch on your biceps, you need to gain 10 pounds of muscle, like and not in your arms overall, you need to gain 10 pounds. And so that's kind of the thing. You have these guys just, you know, tearing away at these bicep curls all day long or, you know, hitting the tricep extension machine. And that's not necessarily doing for you what you would want. If you want show muscles, yeah, go ahead and do that. But if you want go muscles, which I think all of us agree at some point, you need to worry about those. You should worry about your overall strength. So the entire book and really the entire training section can be summed up in the following formula. So it's not going to make sense initially, but I'll explain it all. And that's one to two, four to six, nine to 12, three to four, 60 to 65, five to seven and eight to 10. Okay. So what in the world is that? Is that some sort of Morse code or something like that? So let's get into it. So one to two. So this is basically train one to two muscle groups per day. Okay. So I know a lot of guys that they'll train four or five muscle groups a day or, or something like that, but this is telling you train one to two muscle groups per day. And then four to six, we already talked about this a little bit earlier, do sets of four to six reps for nearly all exercises. So that's around 85% of your one rep max. Now there are certain things, especially on abs, if you're not doing like a weighted ab thing, you know, doing five sets of toes or, you know, five reps of toes to bar, like that's probably not enough unless you're doing it incredibly, incredibly slowly and incredibly controlled. But if you're just like doing the super crossfit like break dancing on the bar, like throwing your legs up and down, doing fives, not really doing anything for you. And then nine to 12, do nine to 12 heavy sets per workout. So when we get into some of the workouts here in a little bit, that'll make more sense. But again, you're, you're trying to be in that four to six rep range. You want it to be heavy, but overall, when you're working your one to two muscle groups, you want somewhere in the neighborhood of nine to 12 heavy sets. And then three to four, this is rest three to four minutes in between sets. Okay. So, so for me at different points, I'll do some anywhere between two and three and a half minutes of rest in between sets. There's been some research and a lot of this has been done, you know, by powerlifters in Russia. These are guys that are doing super heavy squat and deadlift and bench and all the overhead stuff. These guys will do one set of, you know, like two to three reps and then they'll take like 15 to 20 minutes rest, like 15 to 20 minutes. They'll just walk around and just chill and let their body relax because they're overall just trying to gain strength. Now, for most of us, if we're going to get in nine to 12 heavy sets, we're obviously not going to take 15 to 20 minutes in between because we'd be in there all day. But that is something you need to be thinking about is, is getting a proper amount of rest. Just because your workout partner is done with his set doesn't mean you need to hop up under the rack, uh, up under the bar and, and get after it on that one. And then we have 60 to 65. And this is important. This is train for 60 to 65 minutes. I tell people all the time, like, you know, how do you get all this time in for working out? First of all, I roll out of bed and roll into my garage. That, that's a great thing is that I just have, you know, the gym right there. I literally have no excuses, but I do not lift longer than an hour. 
And this is something that I've just done for forever. If you're in there lifting for an hour and a half, two hours, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're not going to get that afterburn. You're doing an extra set for an extra pump is not really helping you. All you need to do is 60 to 65 minutes. That's literally all you need to do as a maximum. And the next is five to seven. And that's train each muscle group one to two times every five to seven days. So there are some muscle groups that recover faster than others. So abdominal muscles, you know, trunk muscles, core muscles, those tend to recover quicker. Calf muscles, randomly, that's something that can recover from a difficult exercise fairly quickly. But some of the larger muscle groups, so maybe like your hamstrings or your quads, your your back, your chest, these, these are groups that tend to take longer to fully recover. And so those are groups that really you should really only hit once in a normal workout week. Um, and so that, that's just really important. And then the last thing here was eight to 10. So basically you need to dial it back every eight to 10 weeks. So you need to evaluate the whole time you're working, but every eight to 10, 10 weeks, you need to kind of gear down. Okay. So again, if you're doing this progressive loading of weight, that's something that you have to constantly just, you're inching up, you're inching up the weight, but at the eight to 12 week mark, you got to take some time off. You got to rest. And some guys are like, no, I'm going to lose all my gains. What's going to happen? It's not going to happen for a lot of guys. And if you've seen this yourself, you know, this to be true. You take a week or two off and I don't mean off where you just, you know, you know, snorting Cheeto dust the whole time, but like, you know, you're actually just, you know, chilling a little bit, maybe doing a little bit more yoga, a little bit more cardio, doing lighter weight just for a short period of time. You, when you start hitting the heavy weights again, you're actually a lot, lot stronger. So again, one to two trained one to two muscle groups per day, four to six, do sets of four to six reps for nearly all exercises, nine to 12, do nine to 12 sets, heavy sets per workout, three to four rest, three to four minutes in between sets, 60 to 65 train for 60 to 65 minutes per workout, five to seven train each muscle group one to two times every five to seven days and eight to 10 dial it back every eight to 10 weeks. So let's talk about cardio. So he's talking specifically about cardio for fat loss. So essentially we can break it down like this. If you want cardio and you want to lose fat, you have to do high intensity interval training. You've got to do HIIT work or sprint work. Okay. And let's go to the book here. Research has shown that the longer your cardio sessions are, the more they impair strength and hypertrophy. Thus, keeping your cardio session short is is important when we're talking about maximizing your gains in the weight room and preserving your muscle. Only high intensity interval training allows you to do this and burn enough fat to make it worthwhile. So here's the thing with HIIT training, guys. This this is like my favorite thing to do. And the cool thing about HIIT training is it takes so much less time than longer term uh, cardio and it's usually better on your body. So if, and I'm not hating on runners here or bikers, but that if you're running, you know, like seven to 10 miles, that's a lot of time, even if you're booking it. Like, and I know if you're training for a marathon, that's a little bit different, you know, do you do your thing, but that that's bad. That's hard on your feet. It's hard on your ankles and your knees and your hips and your low back and your shoulders and your neck. Like it's just hard on you to do that much. But when you're running 10 sprints, like all out sprints, hundred yard sprints, 80 yard sprints, something like that. Like you're not having a lot of that downward pressure on your joints. Now you're susceptible to more muscular injuries, like popping a, you know, a hip flexor or a, or a hamstring or something like that. But it's going to get you better results. Now it's more miserable. Like, let's just be honest. Like if you're running a 5k at kind of a, you know, kind of a mellow, you know, eight, eight and a half minute pace or something like that. Yeah. You can just ride along at that pace all day. You know, you hit your, you know, over three miles and and boom, you're good. But running those 10 sprints, you're going to want to die. You're just going to be like, this sucks. This sucks so bad. But my, my advice to you is if you're run, doing sprint work and stuff like that is do not take an undefined break in between sets. So even if I'm running a bunch of hundreds, like I'm telling myself, you've got 30 seconds in between every single, every single one. And I will count it in my head. And no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what's, you know, stretching out or whatever at the 30 second mark or at the 60 second mark or whatever, I'm gone. So I am on the line, ready to go before I've counted to whatever the number is in my head. Okay. So if you want fat loss, you got to do that high intensity interval training. Okay. Now in this section as well, he talks a lot about the four core lifts. So these are the lifts that should be a part of every single guy's strength training regimen. And those are squat, deadlift, bench press, and military press. Some of you guys are like, what's squat and deadlift? Okay. Here's the thing. I know bench press is like the most popular thing in the world. Like I get it. Like But if you want overall strength, squat, deadlift, bench press, and military press is what you have to do. 
This book goes big time into detail on how to do those, like how to do all those books. But even this author kind of gives a nod to uh, Mark Ripito, who is the author of Starting Strength and has you know since built a big company about starting strength. But here's the thing about these exercises, guys, is if you do them incorrectly, you are very susceptible to injury. Like it's really hard to hurt yourself on a Smith machine. Like it's hard to hurt yourself on a hack squat machine. But when you're putting weight on your shoulder and you're squatting below 90 and your your back's out of alignment and your chest isn't where it needs to be, it, it's going to potentially open you up to some issues. So my suggestion to everybody is just about every town that every one of you listeners are listening to this in has a strength and conditioning coach that knows what he's doing, right? Now, if you go to starting strength, I think they actually have a network of coaches that you can actually reach out to and you can actually sign up there where you're taking video of your of your lifts and then sending it to them and they're giving you pointers in real time, you know, that kind of thing. But do not just have never squatted before and throw 315 up on the bar and just, just get under it. Like that's, that's bad news waiting to happen. Make sure you have all the safety precautions ready to go. And, you know, again, get that starting strength book. That's, that's one of the books that's on the, on the book list as well. So, but in, within each one of these things, he talks about different muscle groups and he kind of lists the best exercises for strength and muscle gains in these areas. So I'm gonna go through these fairly quickly because it's just listing them off. And if you, uh, if you're not getting them, if, if it's going too fast, just rewind and you can go back to them later. So the best exercises for chest are inclined barbell bench press, inclined dumbbell bench press, flat barbell bench press, flat dumbbell bench press and dips. And on the dips, that's obviously the chest variation where you are leaning a little bit more forward and getting more uh, action in the lower uh, chest muscle area as opposed to more on the triceps and shoulders. So the best exercises for back are barbell deadlift, barbell row, one-arm dumbbell row, pull-ups, lat pull-down, T-bar row, seated cable row, chin-ups, and barbell shrugs. For shoulders, it's seated barbell military press or standing barbell military press, seated dumbbell press, Arnold dumbbell press, one of my personal favorites, dumbbell side lateral raise, one-arm dumbbell side lateral raise, rear delt raise, face pulls, barbell, barbell rear delt row, and dumbbell front raise. For legs, it's barbell squat, front squat, hack squat, leg press, barbell lunge, dumbbell lunge, Romanian deadlift, leg curls, calf raises, and calf press on a leg press machine. And then finally for core, we have cable crunch, hanging leg raise, captain's chair leg raise, ab roller, air bicycles, flat bench lying leg raise, and decline crunch. So one quick thing on some of these things. So some of the stuff I I mentioned are body weight things. So that would be, you know, your push-ups or your dips or your pull-ups or, you know, uh, some of the different ab things like hanging leg raises or things like that. For, for a lot of these, if you're wanting to get more resistance, you've got to put resistance on your body, obviously. So think weighted vest or body armor or something like that. And even with dips, you can wear one of those belts where you can kind of hang a, hang a weight in between your legs, things like that. So those are things that if, you know, if pull-ups are really, really easy for you. You need to be weighted. You need to be under some sort of a weight on dips. That's another one that guys can tend to do pretty well on after a while, add some weight and it'll change the game for you. So, uh, before we get out of this section, I do want to talk about my personal routine. So in a week, I normally work out somewhere between five and seven days a week. So normally it's right at about six days a week. So, uh, usually Monday is my rest day, but even on my rest day, I try to do about an hour's worth of yoga just to keep the the body kind of stretched out and different things like that. But, um, I normally will lift Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And if for whatever reason I have a late night on Thursday, um, I will push the Friday workout to Saturday sometimes. And then I, but then I also do uh, jujitsu classes like competition level classes and things like that four to five times a week. So I get quite a bit in, but, uh, on my four lifting days, Day one, I do chest and calves. Day two, I do legs and core. Day three, I do back and calves. And day four, I do shoulders and core. Now, normally I would put legs first in the week because that's the number one thing I don't want to miss because if you have strong legs, it usually tends to lend itself to a stronger overall body. But uh, as I was going through kind of building it out and looking at when I was going to be doing jujitsu and when I was doing other things, it made sense to put chest on that first day. So you can put me in the international chest day side of things, but that was kind of more, uh, more, strategic than it was by just kind of happenstance. Okay. Now let's get into the last section of the book here as that kind of wraps up the training portion. Let's get into supplementation. That's the fifth section and the last one that we're going to talk about. So to the book here, 
If you're wondering how companies can even get away with such an egregious scam, it's simple. The supplement industry is completely unregulated. So here's the thing. I have a lot of guys that, you know, well, what pre-workout are you doing? Are you doing any testosterone boosters? Or, you know, how do you have energy? Do you take, do you take Spark or do you take, you know, whatever it is that the, the Spark equivalent is now? But at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff that you guys are taking and a lot of stuff I've been asked about, if I take it, it's not stuff that I mess with and a lot of it's garbage. Some of it's dangerous. Because again, there's stuff that is sold on the shelves at GNC. And because GNC is a recognizable brand, you're thinking to yourself like, oh, this is probably going to be safe. And some of it is not good at all. Like I even even had a buddy of mine from college. He overdosed on pre-workout. The dude almost died, like legitimately almost died. He took like four or five times the normal amount, which is his bad. I mean, just what a stupid thing to do. But at the end of the day, there was nobody looking at him. He's like, you know, it's just like anything else. He wasn't getting the same pop from the two or three scoops. So then he just bumped it up to four or five scoops and it almost took his life. So I will talk about some of the things. I'm just going to kind of go in order here about some of the things that should be supplemented or things that you should maybe not mess with. So first is vitamin D. And this one's pretty simple, guys. Most humans do not get enough vitamin D. And here's the thing. And those people are like, well, I drink vitamin D milk or I, you know, I walk around with my shirt off sometimes. Someone made the comment once is like, in order for most humans uh, to get enough vitamin D, uh, they would literally have to sit outside all day with their shirt off on a sunny day and drink vitamin D milk the entire day. So most guys, that's not going to be the best situation for you or you're not going to be able to pull that off. So vitamin D supplementation is something that's really easy and really cheap to do. The other thing is protein. So this is very good to supplement and it's also good on the pocketbook. So, and but you have to buy good protein. So I, I use uh, ISO 100. Uh, that, that's, that's one that I use. I use an, a whey isolate. And so this is very good to supplement because when you, every scoop is 25 grams. And so uh, if you're not trying to cook a bunch of meat all the time or buy all the meat, it's usually better for you. Now, hunters, y'all are some of the best guys, the guys that take down, you know, deer and moose and elk and stuff like that. You pretty much got all your protein from meat and you got that on lock. So here's the thing about weight gainers. I know some of you guys out there are like, well, I can't even gain weight, eat more food. That, that's the easiest thing I can tell you on weight gainers. Um, there's a lot of stuff about different supplements and different things that'll help you gain weight. Just eat more food. That's kind of the best and most natural way to do that. Another thing that was talked about recently is branch chain amino, amino acids. So that's BCAAs. And so here we'll go to the book here. Research commonly cited that demonstrates muscle-related benefits of BCAA supplementation was done with subjects who didn't eat enough protein. When you get all the BCAAs your body needs from food instead, which is cheaper and far, uh, or sorry, you can get all the BCAAs your body needs from food instead, which is cheaper and far more satisfying. So it's not saying that you shouldn't take BCAAs, but it's not necessarily something that you have to do. Okay. Then he talks about pre-workout and essentially it's don't freaking do it. You don't need pre-workout. And I know some of you guys are like, what? You know, like the record definitely screeched to a halt there. Don't do pre-workout. You seriously do not need that garbage. All right, let's move on to creatine. So let's go to the book here. Research shows that supplementation with creatine builds muscle and improves strength, increases anaerobic endurance, and reduces muscle damage and soreness from exercise. So here's the thing with creatine is I had some guys that, uh, you know, were on creatine in high school and they got super bloated and, you know, there was issues with the supplementation at that time. And again, that was almost 15 years ago or maybe even longer. I can't, can't really remember. Um, but the it's gotten a lot better and creatine has been something that has been studied for a really, really long time. So outside of, you know, multivitamins, vitamin D and whey protein, creatine is the only thing that I use. And that's something that I do. I supplement with every day and it's mainly for muscle recovery. It's not for muscle growth. I don't really want much more muscle growth. I just basically need it for the recovery. Okay. Um, so basically again, it's just in terms of other supplements, it's just the whey and the creatine. So Here's the thing, testosterone boosters, um, human growth hormone boosters, fat burners, like don't freaking do any of those. All right. So here's the thing is like with a lot of fat burners, there's some natural fat burners you can, you can take. And it goes into that a little bit in the book, but most people are doing like the hydroxy cut garbage or they're, they're doing whatever the, the crap is at GNC to, for fat burning. Don't do those things. Like the thing about it is, is if you don't know this by now, especially on the testosterone side, the moment you start messing with your natural testosterone levels and start supplementing, your body's going to stop producing testosterone. If you don't believe me, go look at pictures of Vitor Belfort early in his MMA career and look at him in his last fight. 
that is a body that, you know, had abused steroids for so long. And then he was on testosterone replacement therapy, even when he didn't need it. But now he's going to have to have some sort of testosterone replacement therapy for the remainder of his life, just for him to operate normally, just because of what he did to himself. And the last thing here they talked about is fish oil. And so the thing with fish oil is do it. There, there are literally, I'm not going to bore you with the research and a bunch of quotes. Now, if you're not taking fish oil, you're missing out. Um, and, but make sure it's high quality triglyceride fish oil. So in the book, it talk, it shows you kind of a, a label of crappy fish oil, what that label looks like. And then a label of like a good fish oil, like what is describing in the nutrition facts. So don't just go to Walmart and say, Oh, it says fish oil. I'll buy some of that. Like, you're going to have to make sure you buy some high quality stuff because it's not all created equal. So um, the the cool thing uh, about this book, guys, like I mentioned from the top, is I was really excited to see that I was pretty much doing all of this already. Um, there were there were definitely some things that I learned, so I'm not trying to hover above all this here. Like there were certainly some things that I've learned, and there's some things that I have even in the last few weeks incorporated from what I learned in this book. But um, overall, th- these are very good guidelines for you. But but for some of you guys that may be a little bit still on the fence here, I want to provide you three reasons why every modern Christian man should read this book. Okay, and I do this with every book review that I do. I, I just try to narrow it down. Like if you if you tune me out for the last 15 or 20 minutes, here's really the solid thing. So the first thing is in the convoluted world of kind of holistic financial or (laughs) financial holistic fitness advice, we need a solid, simple reference guide. So in the convoluted world of holistic fitness advice, we need a solid, simple reference guide. That's what this book is. So again, I tell you all the time, one of the big reasons why I do uh, eBooks is so that I can easily search. I just go up to the search bar, type in, ah, man, he was talking about, you know, high fructose corn syrup. I need to find that section. And as opposed to trying to remember, well, I read that five years ago. I wonder what section that was in. I can just type it in, boom, and I'm there. So this is a very good reference guide for you. So if you have no idea what you're doing, this is a great reference guide. If you're a super experienced lifter, this is also a good reference guide. So the reason why this book has been so popular is because it's not too dumbed down for the experienced person and it's not so advanced that the layman can't can't get on board, okay? The second reason why you guys should read this is most guys don't focus on diet and exercise, okay? And I know we talked about sleep, but here's the thing. Most guys don't focus on both. You have the guys that have the really good diet, but then, you know, they couldn't bench press their, their body weight if they needed to, you know, and then you have the guys that are just yoked up gym bros that I talk about all the time, but they're eating, you know, they're eating Doritos and wa- washing it down with, with a Slurpee. It's just kind of one of those deals. So for you, you have to have knowledge in both of those areas. If you're going to have an, a very good overall, um, overall setup for your health. And so this book will help you focus on both diet and exercise. And the last thing is guys, and and you know, I was going here, your physicality is an act of worship. You've heard me say it. You've read it in the stuff that I've written. Your physicality is an act of worship. So for a lot of you guys, you're, you first got familiar with this concept when you read our men's devotional. So that's the 21 day men's devotional. That's on the YouVersion Bible app. It's called Undaunted Life, a man's devotional on day 15. That is the first day of the seven days where I talk about physical resilience. And I talk about first Corinthians six, and this is verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Okay. So here's the thing, guys. Paul does not leave a bunch of wiggle room left or right here in these verses. Like he's basically telling us that the, these are the things that we need to know about our bodies. And I, and I put this there in the devotional, the Holy spirit is housed there. We do not own our own bodies. Our bodies were purchased at a very, very high price. And we must use our bodies to glorify God. So here's the thing, going back to what I was talking about at the very beginning of this podcast, if you are a Christian male and you are fat and out of shape, that is inappropriate. You are not honoring God with your body. So do not mishear me though. I'm not saying that if you don't have 20 inch biceps and a ripped up at, you know, core area that God can't use you. That's not what I'm saying. But for most of us that have bodies that work fully and we are fully capable of taking care of them. We just don't. And it's not right. And I am frankly sick and tired of seeing these guys walking around, you know, these reformed guys and these theologians and these everything. And they're just doughy. It's just like, guys, come on. You are a walking example of not being disciplined. 
Like you're, you're trying to tell everyone to be disciplined in your prayer life and be, be disciplined here and be disciplined there. All someone has to do in your congregation is raise their hand and be like, ah, what about you, chief? You've been hitting the Twinkies a little bit. You know what I'm saying? The, the thing about this is, is this is not easy. Having a good sleep regimen and rest regimen and also having your diet and your workout under control, that's not easy. But how much in the Christian walk is, especially for men, how much of it's super easy? How much of it just comes naturally to you? So even if you don't have good genetics, even if, well, everyone in my family's fat, even whatever your excuse is, I'm basically taking all those away from you. It's not a good enough excuse. It's just not. You've got to take care of your body in a way that is pleasing to God because your physicality is 100% an act of worship. All right, guys, before I let you out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. And as you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So what we're going to talk about today is we're just going to keep this going on physical resilience. But I want to challenge you all to read at least one of the books that's in the health section of that book list. Okay. So bigger, leaner, stronger, what this entire podcast about is is about is on there, but also there's starting strength by Mark Ripto that that's on there. And we've talked about that here on this uh, podcast, the new encyclopedia of modern bodybuilding by Arnold Schwarzenegger or got fight by Forrest Griffin. So those are the four books that we put in that section. They talk about a lot of different areas. It's not just a repeat of a lot of different things. I've got a couple of other books that may work their way into this part of, of the book list too, but we'll just kind have to see how it goes. So that's your challenge is pick up one of those books and take it down. So thank you guys again, as always, for listening this far into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. If you use the hashtag on Daunted Life, we'll be sure to find your post and give it a thumbs up. If we deserve a five-star review, make sure you leave one, but at the same time, don't just hit the five stars. Go ahead and write a short review, even just a few sentences. It'll certainly help us out. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2018 and also the beginning of 2019. So if you want me to come speak to your team, to your church, to your Sunday school, to whatever, hit me up at info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life, and we'll see if we can work that out. Our website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife and facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. You can check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. We also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.